What is shaking, everybody? On this episode of the Golf Guide podcast, I am joined by Sean Ogle of Breaking80.com. Uh, Sean and I spent a little over an hour talking golf course architecture, uh, Scottish golf vacations, golf course photography, and of course, uh, went into detail on a recent article he published where, uh, yeah, he talked about the top 100 golf courses in the world that he has played, and uh, he's played a considerable amount. So it was fun to talk to him about that as it relates to West Coast golf and where he sees the West Coast golf's landscape uh, on a global scale. So before I waste any more of your time, ladies and gentlemen, Sean Ogle from Breaking 80 here on the Golf Guide Podcast. Senor Ogle, what's shaking, brother? Can you uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, you sound great. Oh, awesome, man. Yeah, after the uh, the last podcast we did together, I, for some reason my mic was at like 75%, so I had to go do some editing to make sure that my voice didn't sound like I was trying to you know, seductively whisper into people's ear while you were nice and clear and vocal, so <laughs> yeah, glad, glad everything is doing uh, is doing better. So if uh, if anybody's not familiar with Breaking 80 or yourself, uh, Senor Ogle, do you mind giving everybody a quick little uh, rundown of what Breaking 80 is all about? Yeah, so I started Breaking 80 about four years ago with the idea of creating a golf site that doesn't suck. At the time, there was there were so many just – actually, I take that back. There were not that many golf blogs out there, and the ones that were out there weren't very good. Or there were big, you know, massive sites like Golf Digest or Golf WRX or whatever. So I wanted to create a site for the average golfer where I reviewed cool products and played cool golf courses and essentially created the the website that I wanted to read. Um, and so that's what we've done. And it's been cool because over the last couple of years, we've seen this huge influx of independent golf blogs uh, and people are finally doing a good job with it. So it's been built a, a pretty good community around the kind of online golf world. Absolutely. Man. It is a, if you are a fan of golf and you like to read, uh, like amateur reviews, not to say that the, like by amateur, I don't mean bad, but basically like independent, uh, golf reviews and opinions, man, it's so awesome. I mean, breaking 80 is just one of, like you said, dozens of websites that I know I, uh, kind of mosey and, and read around um you know every, every day when i first get into the office so i, I appreciate it man and then uh, so breaking 80 is a great place to find content again that's breaking 80 with 80 spelled out e i g h t y jesus elementary school was a long time ago <laughs> dot com. um and then also um aside from just the breaking 80 website you've kind of committed yourself to a goal which i must say is quite ambitious but it you know it seems like you're making excellent progress so far when it comes to playing some of the world's best golf courses no yeah, so I guess to back up, um, <clears throat> to kind of tell the full story of how this yeah, came man. to be. I, I used to be in I used to be in finance, and I realized that wasn't for me. I started in finance in July of 2007. So by you know February of 2009, we all know what happened and how horrible of a you know environment to to be in that was. Um, so I ended up quitting my job. I moved to Thailand for a year, and I ended up creating a a blog that's essentially all about travel and entrepreneurship. So I, uh, my primary business is called Location Rebel. It's locationrebel.com. I teach people how to build small businesses that they can run from anywhere in the world. And so through doing that, I was traveling three to four months out of the year. I was going to all these cool places and I was having a lot more free time to explore the one thing I was truly passionate about, which was golf. Um, so part of the reason Breaking 80 came to be is was like, hey, I'm, I'm traveling all over the place. I'm, I'm starting to play more interesting golf courses. Like, you know, how about I, I document the journey and in order to have a goal, I was going to try and play the top 100 public courses in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so I played uh, the Nicholas course at Pronghorn out in Bend. And it was after that round. That's when I decided I wanted to do this. It was the first time I was like, 
holy crap, this is a really good, interesting golf course. Um, and so for the next like three to four months, I was doing some traveling. I probably played another half dozen of the top public courses. And pretty quickly, I realized that, you know, for as great as that goal was, if I'm going to be traveling to all of these spots, I didn't really just want to do the public courses. I wanted to do the top 100 courses in America. So all the private ones, all of the exclusive ones, I've got this uh, thing where I tell people that I like to sneak into high class establishments where I probably don't belong. Um, and so this was like the perfect like fit for that. Um, and then another six months goes by and I ended up taking a, uh, a trip to Scotland. I think at this point it was like 2000 end of, end of 2014, okay. um, took a trip to Scotland, played nine courses in nine days. And I realized at that point I had played just as many of the top 100 in the world as I had the top 100 in the U S. So I was like, well, let's, uh, let's make this a big thing. And so now I'm kind of trying to play any of the courses I can on either of those lists. Um, and really essentially just, like I said, trying to play as many cool courses as possible. And once I've, once I've made significantly more progress on one of those lists, that's when I'll really narrow down and try and uh, finish it out. Got it. So it'd be fair to say that you like to play good golf. I like to play good <laughs> golf. Like I like to play any golf. Like I'm just as happy sure, going man. to play in the local muni down the street. But as you get more into golf history and golf architecture and the golf world in general, um, you know, there's something to be said for seeing some of the more highly rated, the more historic, um, you know, golf courses because each one has their own unique vibe and their own unique experience. I think that's the coolest part is that, you know, I grew up playing tennis and a tennis court is a tennis court pretty much no matter where you go. Right. But a golf club, not only is the playing field completely different every time, but your experience going to that club and meeting, you know, members or if it's a public course, staying at the resort or whatever it is, it's always going to be so different. And I think that's one of the things that makes golf unique. No, man, it, it's totally awesome. And just to make, you know, uh, I was saying this on the last podcast that I did with uh, with Andy from the Friday, and that is, you know, a golf course itself is it's like a living, breathing, uh, usable piece of art. And that if you give 30 architects the same piece of land, you're going to come up with 30 different golf courses. And then with those 30 different golf courses, you're going to have 30 different stories and the history is going to be different. And it's just it's such a cool thing because not people aren't building golf courses on the same plot of land. These different people at different points of history have built these golf courses under different circumstances. And, you know, like you said, going out and once you learn a little bit more, you want to dig a little bit deeper. And it's kind of just like, you know, you're run of the mill, you know, hardcore drug and that, you know, once you get a little taste, <laughs> you got to you got to, you know, match that and then, you know, go a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And, you know, I I hate to say it for all of our, you know, junkie listeners out there because I don't mean to bring up bad memories or, you know. But it, it's it, it's kind of how it is, man. Once once you kind of get going down that rabbit hole, you just can't stop. And uh, it, it's been super fun to to watch, uh, you know, follow you on social media and like read the top 100 list that you pers- you know just came out with a couple of months ago. Um, yeah, man, I, I I totally understand. I've not had the opportunity to play nearly as many um, of the same courses as you have, but from my limited experience, I. I agree with you 100%, man. It's it's just too much fun. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's that's what it is. But I think the the thing that's been the most surprising, um, you know, I started doing this specifically for the golf courses. And when I first was doing it, it was just to have a quest. It was just to check off boxes. And then you start going through it and you realize, oh, like each one of these boxes is a very unique experience. So you start really appreciating that. Totally. And then you realize that even the ones that aren't on the list have a unique experience. And so you stop caring about the list as much. But more than anything, the thing that I think has been the biggest surprise is the the people that I've met and the generosity that people have shown me across the world and having me out to their clubs and playing with me and the, you know, 
thousands of emails like I've shared back and forth with different readers or Instagram followers or, or whatever it is. And so that's been the best part is just all the all the cool people I've met, yourself being one of them. Yeah, man. No, absolutely. It, uh, it's this this golf community thing is a pretty tight knit little group that uh, is filled with unbelievably generous people. And um, I'm, I'm sure you could probably speak to this more than I have, is that people take such a huge amount of pride in where they play and where they live and golf is certainly not an exception to that and i would assume that's probably a big reason why you've been able to play um, a lot of the courses that you have is that people just have so much pride in their home clubs that when they see a guy like yourself who's looking to try to you know play all these and share his experiences the world they're like well hey that's an awesome opportunity for me to introduce him to my home club and hope that maybe it gets us a little bit more exposure because you know this i love this golf course and i think more people should know about it is, is am i Am I kind of on the right track there? Oh, a hundred percent. And cool. you know, it's the one thing that's been cool about, you know, having the blog is, you know, I kind of tell people it's been amazing how many people have invited this random dude from the internet to spend the day with them at their, their home clubs. You know, a golf club is, is kind of a sacred place. Um, for a lot of people, it's their second home. Um, you know, it's their second family in many cases. And so to take a complete stranger and introduce themselves or introduce them to that is, is a pretty cool thing. And I found because of, you know, the Instagram and because of the blog and because I've proven that I'm willing to travel around and I do value the experience and I don't take it for granted, um, you know, more and more people have been, you know, opening up and sharing that with me. And I know it's the same thing. So at my home course, I play at a course called Pumpkin Ridge in Portland. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to be able to take someone who's never played it before and introduce them to the course and talk about some of the history of it and some of the unique features of it and, you know, just kind of share that experience. And I've found that uh, that's that's pretty similar for people across the board. Doesn't matter where you are, if you're a member of one of the most elite prestigious clubs in the world or just kind of the local country club down the street, uh, people take great pride in where they play and generally speaking, want to share that. No, that's awesome, man. And since you have had the opportunity to play a lot of uh, the nations and the world's kind of top clubs, uh, both public and private, how have you felt that um, everybody's been pretty receptive um, to you being there outside of you know, whatever member or person has brought you out to the club, do the other members kind of really enjoy the experience of having a, a guest, you know, who maybe, you know, be able to share his experience with other people? Is that something that you've noticed people are very receptive to and different to? How, how, how have you read, read that? Generally speaking, really receptive. I'm trying to think of a negative experience I've had at any club, public or private. Um, where someone didn't necessarily want me there or didn't like the fact that I was going to write about it. And I honestly can't think of a single example of that being the case. Uh, generally, everyone's been excited about what I've been doing. And especially, I think people get especially excited when they see some of the photos that come from uh, their course, you know, especially if I hit it on like a good summer day mm -hmm. where the light's right and you get some pretty, you know, special photos, you know, people love seeing that. They love showing them off. They love sharing it. And, you know, that's one of the best ways to get invited back, I've found, is, you know, some of my best photos have led to, you know, open-ended invites that are like, if you ever want to come back, just let us know, which has been, uh, you know, a nice thing to have as you build up your network across the world. Oh, that's awesome. And so I guess my other question, my next question would be, what do you do if there's shitty weather? If you, if you show up to somewhere, you've been waiting to play, the light's no good, how, how, how are you able to still share that experience when the light is less than ideal well there's you know a handful of things one some clubs you know very few but there's a handful of clubs that just don't want the photos they're that private they're that exclusive and mm -hmm. on those days you just enjoy the experience um there's kind of two things that you do when the weather sucks 
Um, you know, one is when the lighting isn't quite right. I shoot in HDR sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll take, you know, three brackets. I'll, you know, take the same photo, shoot one overexposed, one underexposed and one at normal exposure. And what that allows me to do is when I'm in post-processing, it allows me to tweak the lighting to, you know, kind of work to my advantage. And this is a technique that I've pretty much used with my golf photography since the very beginning. Um, and it's, it's kind of a fine art. HDR can be used and abused and lead to some totally. horrible looking shots and that's i would say for the average person using hdr that's kind of what happens and every once in a while i'll cross that line and i'll go back and look at a photo and be like oh i went uh, a little too heavy there um but it really does allow you to compensate when the lighting isn't quite right um and then other times you just deal with it and you play in the rain or you you do what you can. So a great example being we played a Los Angeles Country Club, the North Course, about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I was told after the fact it was the wettest day in Los Angeles's history. <laughs> and I don't know if that's true, but it certainly felt like it. And, you know, I kind of would sneak the camera out of the bag, like under an umbrella to try and get a handful of photos. And, you know, I got some that were, you know, will work that I can use. They're not gonna be the prettiest photos ever, but again, you know, it also allows you to shoot, uh, you know, a different, different style or different feel. I took some course or, uh, some photos of Aaron Hills out in Wisconsin mm-hmm. uh, a couple years ago. And it was pouring down rain on and off throughout the day. But what it led to was, you know, some really interesting colors, some really interesting clouds, some really interesting light. Um, and I took some almost like ominous looking golf photos that are some of my favorite that I've ever uh, I've ever shown. Absolutely, man. No, inclement weather uh, can be kind of a blessing in disguise, I found. I mean, some of the most enjoyable rounds uh, of golf I've ever played have been, you know, in pouring weather. But I mean, shit, man, it just makes it that much more memorable. It's almost kind of like a a badge of honor if you when you finish you know wrap it wrap things up you're walking from the 18th green to the clubhouse it uh it's pretty cool and like you said it you know creates some really really stunning photos if you can catch a little bit of a break um are, are you usually shooting with like a nice camera or do you do a lot of work with an iphone or how, how does that work i usually shoot with uh a dslr so if DSLR. i'm going and i'm playing a top course uh, i've got a nikon d7100 um i use an 18 to 105 lens so pretty versatile basic lens um, and that's what I'll use most of the time on the course. If it's a new course and, you know, one that I've kind of been traveling to play, if it's uh, me playing my home cor- club, uh, me playing my home club mm-hmm. or another course that I've maybe played before, then, uh, I'll usually just use an iPhone and call it good. Well, shit, man, if you got one of the newer iPhones, I mean, you're talking like 10 plus megapixels, which is pretty, that would've been like a $10,000 camera just like eight years ago. So it's really, <laughs> it's, it's not like the worst, you know, the, the worst thing in the world to be able to use one of those new iPhones. So, well, yeah. and so, so much of it comes down to the editing. I think that's what people don't realize is that it doesn't matter if you have a, a Nikon or, uh, an iPhone, even like an iPhone three or an iPhone from four or something it's like if you know how to edit photos and you know how to compose them properly you can take amazing looking photos regardless of what kind of camera you have yeah absolutely and man hey man golf course photography is such a wonderful thing i mean for a lot of those people out there uh who don't get a chance to maybe travel the world and play all these different golf courses it is the way that you can kind of experience those golf courses and a good golf course photographer um man that that is that is a hell of a skill i mean other than yourself do you have any other guys or photographers whose work you kind of admire that uh you try to kind of try to i guess you know model your work after or i guess at least photographers that you look up to 
Yeah, frankly, I don't try and model my work off anybody. You know, when I started doing it, I really didn't follow any golf photographers. So mm-hmm. I kind of did my own thing. I think I'm one of the the few people that, you know, in terms of golf photography that does a lot of HDR stuff. So, you know, that can, you know, have a slightly different look or feel. Some of my shots tend to be a little bit more contrasty than than other people. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's a lot of great photographers out there now. Um, you know, a couple that come to mind, uh, Patrick Koenig. Uh, at PJ Koenig on Instagram is mm-hmm. awesome. And he's an even better guy. Um, you know, the at links gems, John Cavalier, who John I've never Cavalier. talked to. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's been, he posts a lot on Instagram. So you see a lot of his photos coming through. Um, Evan Schiller is another one that, uh, you know, kind of rings a bell or that I've seen good work from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're so, all over the place, man. This is, it, it's totally awesome. And I have to admit, I, I did not expect us to go into a deep dive on, on golf course photography, but it's just so interesting and such a huge part of like the um, what Breaking 80 and you do that uh, I just figured it'd be, it'd be worth touching on for a little bit. So I hope you don't mind me kind of directing the conversation in another uh, direction because I had a couple – I just have so many questions for you, my man. You just I mean, are able to do so much cool stuff that I just want to <laughs> pick your brain apart for everybody. So um, the last time we talked, which was last August, um, so that was the last time you were here on the podcast with us, you were gearing up for a trip to Scotland. And uh, what w- we'll get into right after this is your is the Breaking 80 Top 100 courses that you published a couple of months ago. Um, but one thing that I noticed is that from your Top 100 courses, uh, four out of your Top 10 are in Scotland, and seven out of your Top 20 are in you know international. Six, I think, of those Top 20 are from Scotland. So because the summer is going to be rolling up here, you know, before we know it, a lot of people like myself and other you know avid golfers are either planning a trip back to Scotland or planning their first trip uh, to Scotland to go play some good golf. So I was hoping, as a man who has been there a couple of times, played a lot of the great golf over there, maybe you could just take a minute or two to kind of throw out some some suggestions and some helpful tips for people in terms of places to go and things to do if they're making a, a trip to Scotland for a week or two to go play golf. Totally. Um, so I've done two trips to Scotland now, um, and I... I'm someone who doesn't mind driving. I will drive all over the place in order to play a a cool golf course. So once I get to Scotland, I'm kind of like, okay, what courses haven't I played yet that I would like to play? Um, Try and start scheduling them and you just kind of make it work. So uh, both of my trips have literally left me crisscrossing every single corner of the country um, you know, trying to go find good golf courses <laughs> to play. So I don't necessarily recommend the average person do that. Um, you know, I think one of the best pieces of advice you can give is, you know, try and pick a general region and stick within that region. Um, so if you wanted to do say St. Andrews, you could stay in St. Andrews and still have easy access to all the St. Andrews courses, uh, Carnoustie and Kings Barnes. Yes. And right there, that's a, a phenomenal trip. Um, you know, Aberdeen is another area. You can go play Royal Aberdeen, Cruden Bay, uh, you know, Trump uh, International, mm-hmm. um, and then still have fairly easy access to some of the courses up in the north if you wanted to do that, like Brora or Royal Dornick, which is one of my all-time favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, you could easily do kind of an Inverness-type uh, trip where you've got uh, Castle Stewart, a little-known course called Boat of Garten. Uh, which, you know, is very good if you want to play something that's a little off the beaten track and also, you know, kind of the Dornick stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can go over and you can do the, you know, um, Royal Troon, uh, Trump Turnberry, Presswick, 
you know, kind of that side. So I would say pick one or two of those regions to try and limit your driving so that you can play more golf. You could potentially do 36 whole days instead of having to drive a couple hours each time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows you to stay in a single hotel and kind of get settled in, um, you know, and just be able to enjoy the experience a little bit more as opposed to being able to travel kind of the whole time. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, like I said, when you're talking about your crisscrossing all over the place, you know, going from one course to the other, I was like, Man, I know I brought up the you know the whole drug reference earlier, but this guy seriously is a real golf junkie. I mean, this, yeah. <laughs> this, this, this guy's itching for it. So if so, if you were going back to Scotland, then let's say just hypothetically you're you're planning another trip to Scotland this summer with uh, a couple of buddies of yours, and they've never been before, and you kind of want to take them to the best spots. Do you have one or two of those different places that maybe you'd recommend most? Um, whether it's you know uh, the St Andrews area, whether you're in Glasgow, uh, way up north, is there one or two that kind of stood out to you as kind of more uh, meccas of golf tourism? I mean, outside of you know playing courses on the open rotation or things like that. Yeah, so that's that's a tough question because you know there's multiple meccas, and I also I just realized I I forgot to mention North Berwick, which is one of my favorite courses in the world, mm-hmm. um, absolute must play that a lot of people skip because it isn't one of the open road courses. Um, isn't that the one but, that's the original Radon Green, or am I am I thinking of the right temple? Yeah, it has has <laughs> the original Radan. Radan, um, okay. And the sixteenth is actually so the fifteenth is uh, the original Radan. The sixteenth is actually one of my it is probably my favorite green complex in the world which is kind of a pseudo biritz um crazy fall off green that's got a big swale in the middle it's one of the coolest greens ever awesome um anyway uh sidetrack great course <laughs> so for someone who who hasn't been to scotland before i yeah. think the easy answer is to say st andrews um because you know obviously you've got the history of st andrews you've got the town of st andrews and within a you know, 45 minute to an hour drive of there, you're, you've got, you know, numerous options for world-class golf. Um, and from there, I think it kind of depends on, you know, what people's interests are. You know, if, uh, their primary interests are tournament and open rota courses, then I think maybe you do Troon and Turnberry. And even though it's not on the rotation anymore, Prestwick was actually where the very first, uh, open championship was held. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's kind of a cool uh, opportunity to go and play some of the courses over there. Uh, If people like more crazy up and down roller coastery type courses, um, you know, then I would say go up north where you've got like Cruden and Trump, which are are both very much like that. Or my personal favorite of all of those, actually, I'd have to go back and look at the list. Like depends on the day and what you ask me. But I think Castle Stewart is probably – one of the most roller coastery and also one of the most fun and has the best views. Castle Stewart is inside of your top 100. I hope you don't mind. I, I got your whole. Uh, I printed out the top 100 here so I could really actually know what the hell I was talking about when uh, when, when I got you on the phone here today. But uh, yeah, Castle so yeah, Stewart, top 10. Yeah, I know it's top 10. I think I have Cruden Bay ranked higher than it. But the more I think about it, I might actually put Castle Stewart uh, ahead of it. So yeah. it, it changes every day. So we'll, we'll see what next year is. That's bring. a super fun thing. And we, we might as well jump into it now, man, because the whole reason I reached out to you to, uh, to start with, other than just you know loving the opportunity to talk to you, um, but I think it was December is when you kind of started putting out the breaking 80 top 100 courses in the world. Now, um, <clears throat> for people that aren't familiar um, this is the top 100 courses that you've played or just your opinion on the top 100 courses in the world? How, how exactly does that work? No. So these are the, like everything in this is a course that I have played. Okay. Obviously, I can't rank a course that I haven't played. Sure. Uh, so it started out a couple years ago with my top 25. 
And then uh, in 2015, I published my top 50. And then finally, in the end of 2016, I felt like I had played enough courses to do a proper top 100 list. And so obviously, you know, the quality is going to change between, you know, numbers like, you know, one, two, three, four, all the way out to, you know, 95, 100, uh, just because I haven't played that many, you know, I haven't played that many courses. Uh, but I've played, you know, probably 250, 300 now. So I've got the the opportunity to kind of draw from some of those. Sure. Uh, There's only 15,000 courses in the United States, Sean. I mean, you, you're, you're right on your way there, brother. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing what I can. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing what I can. Well, the thing that, uh, the thing that I noticed, because the last thing we'll do on Scotland before we uh, transition over to the domestic side of your top 100 list is, uh, I since I have actually had the opportunity to play a couple of courses on your list uh, on the international side, the one that stood out to me that I was really excited to see that it was ranked uh a little bit on the higher side, um, and it's you know I think when I came back from Scotland, it was the, my favorite golf course, and that was the King's Course at Glen Eagles. Uh, what can you tell me about the King's Course? Oh at man, Glen Eagles I am so glad you brought that up because that was probably my biggest Scotland surprise mm -hmm. on this last trip. Um, basically, the first part of the trip I spent on the island of Isla, where we were going to. I'm kind of a, a peated Scotch, Isla Scotch fanatic, so we went to all the distilleries there. All you Portlanders um, just love your Scotch. I, that's, I, maybe it's part of the reason I love that city so much. See, there you go. Yeah. It's a great thing. Yeah. Um, took ferry across, exchanged friends. One friend flew out, and the other friend uh, picked me up at the ferry station. Got to have a little friend um, swap. Yeah, and so we went down to Campbelltown. We played uh, Macrihanish. Um and then basically what we were hoping to do was we were going to play the the second course there, the Dunes course, uh, but they had a tournament. And so we had a day in between uh, when we were going up to play uh, Boat of Garten, I think was the next one. Mm -hmm. And so we're essentially like, OK, we've got <laughs> all of Scotland. Uh, we have to go someplace that we can drive to. Uh, let's go find a place to play. And we talked about all sorts of different options. And finally, we we're like, well, let's go to Glen Eagles. Um you know, they had recently hosted uh, the Ryder Cup back in 2014. Um, you know, in my mind, I wasn't necessarily going to like the courses there very much. Um, you know, inland courses, not necessarily links courses. I didn't really know much about the resort. But finally, I was like, hey, it's kind of on the way. Let's go check it out. And so we showed up there at like 1.30. Um, you know, went in, talked to the head pro, decided we were going to go try and play the Kings course. And I've got to say, it absolutely blew me away it was such a fun golf course and you can tell from the very first hole the very first hole is super unique you've got this big probably one of the widest fairways i've ever seen mm -hmm. and then it goes straight uphill for your approach <laughs> shot um and it's just this very imposing looking opening tee shot and you know as the holes went on you just found my i I just kind of found myself saying, oh, this hole's cool. Oh, this hole's cool. And I don't know if it was because I just didn't know what to expect and I didn't know anything about it. Um, but we had so much fun during that round of golf. And uh, the guy that I was with treated me to uh, a room at the Glen Eagles Hotel that night, which was much fancier than I ever expected it to be. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is a true, like, five-star experience. So um, when you go to Glen Eagles, it's not necessarily going to be an inexpensive uh, trip, but it was world class in every sense of the word. And so I didn't play the uh, the Centenary course or the Queen's course, but the King's course I highly recommend. Yeah, the, when I was there, I, they were actually playing a European tour event on uh, the on the Nicholas Centurion course, and then I did get a chance to play the King and Queen's course. But it was so cool because it must have been at least twelve years or so since I've played those courses. And I remember when I walked away at Glen Eagles, I was just blown away by it, just like you. And it wasn't until, 
I mean, shit, maybe it's seven or eight years later that I noticed, or I, you know, I learned about the huge Bandon Dunes Glen Eagles connection. Are are you familiar with that at all? I'm not. Enlighten me. So so basically, um, when I read Dream Golf, which is kind of the uh, the book about the making of Bandon Dunes, I found out that <clears throat> Glen Eagles is actually the golf course that David McClay Kidd kind of learned how to play golf on because David McClay Kidd's dad was the head greenskeeper at Glen Eagles for a couple of decades. And so when Mike Kaiser was scouting out an architect for the first course at the Bandon Dunes Resort, after Ron Witten from Golf Digest had uh, turned down uh, Mike Kaiser's offer to design the first course there, he was so impressed by Glen Eagles that he hired David because he figured that David's dad, who had basically brought Glen Eagles yep. back to glory, would be the one that he really would get all the advice from and kind of get some input from in order to build his first golf course. And so um, that's actually the home course of the architect of the original Bandon Dunes course and actually probably the biggest source of inspiration for him when it came to designing the first course at Bandon Dunes. And now that I'm thinking about it, I guess like the style of bunkering is kind of similar to the two as well. Yeah, now that you tell me that story, that vaguely rings a bell. Mm -hmm. um, and also, like, kind of thinking back in my head, like, I can certainly see some comparisons where there's some potential similarities there. Yeah, no, it, it's pretty dang cool, man. And then uh, yeah, the other thing, the other David McClay kid uh, tidbit I'll, I'll share with is um, on a podcast I listened to recently, I guess that and then uh, I, I keep on saying I keep on saying Makarenish, but how, how is it actually technically pronounced? I think it's Macrihanish. Macrihanish. That is actually the place where David McClay Kidd and his father still have uh, a golf membership that they you know, partake in. And he said it's probably still one of the few golf courses that he would probably play above any other one in the world. It's Glen Eagles and Macrihanish, or however the heck I'm supposed to say it. But <laughs> I, 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 thought, I thought that was a pretty, uh, a pretty cool little tidbit. Um, no, totally. And, you know, I thought that course was was very good. Obviously, it's, you know, the epitome of Lynx golf. Uh, for me personally, I found that there were a few uh, there were more than a few. There were quite a few very, very good world class golf holes. Uh, but for me, a lot of the course kind of ran together. Sure. Um, you know, I'm trying to think back to, you know, some of the holes, you know, kind of in the middle. And I was like, well, you know, which hole is that? And, you know, it's um, you know, maybe it's just because it's all buried down in the dunes with tall fescue everywhere. So it all looks and feels very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, but part of the reason I don't have that ranked higher is because one of the things I'm pretty good at remembering golf holes, sure. um, and what, you know, kind of when I go back and if I'm able to remember 18 distinct holes, that's kind of like, okay, there obviously is, you know, something good going on here. And I, you know, I could do that for the most part, but there was still some kind of forgettable moments for me. Okay. Uh, I will say it has the best, one of the very best opening holes in golf. Yeah. Uh, which that, they, that is the one thing I keep on hearing for people. Yeah. The, the one thing that you talk to people who play the golf is like that opening tee shot, man. Like I just, I want, I'm not sure I was ready for that when it, when it first came up. What, what, what is that first tee shot like? So basically it's kind of a, a a Cape-esque hole where you're, you know, teeing out, you've got the beach and the water all down the left-hand side. And you have to kind of decide how much of the ocean you're going to try and clear on this big kind of dog leg left. Um, and I, uh, unfortunately did not have a very good tee shot there and we played in extremely high winds. So I, I think I doubled the first hole. It wasn't, uh, wasn't pretty. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. So as we transition now to the American side of the Atlantic, uh, as regards to your top 100 list, um, you know, as I was reading through it, I honestly, I, for the few courses that I have played that are on your top 100 list, I think you and I are in agreement on a lot of the things and, and where you kind of place 
each of the golf courses on that top 100 list. And I know from you know, times we've talked in the past that I do know you are a raider for one of the major golf publications. Um, but on the article, which, again, everybody can find on Breaking80.com, it kind of says that the main, really the main criteria after everything's all said and done, if it comes down to a tiebreaker, um, fun, as it should be, is the number one criteria that you use to evaluate these golf courses. Um, how, but that being said, how much does like other criteria other than fun factor into how you evaluate all these different golf courses? Well, you know, I think one of the things it's like, and I say this on the post that if I'm evaluating a course as a Raider, I will evaluate it from a very different set of criteria than if I'm evaluating it for my own site. Mm -hmm. And there is not a technical (laughs) way of doing it at all uh, with my own stuff. I pretty much, like you said, I say fun is paramount. That's kind of my, my overarching value for what I look like, what I look for in golf courses. Um, but really I go down the list and I try and say, would I rather play this course or would I rather play this course? And that's how the list kind of gets formed. And I do that, you know, dozens and dozens of times (laughs) until I kind of have like a general semblance of what the list looks like. And obviously it's tough because you've got some places that are very exclusive and private and historic. Um, and I try and separate that stuff as much as possible and try and just look at the course, but part of the fun and part of the experience with you know, some of those courses is all of those things. So it's a very inexact science. Um, and I really just kind of want to say, Hey, look, there is a different way to evaluate golf courses than the traditional publications. And this is kind of the way that I do it. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's the thing is like with the major publications, um, have you and me touched on this last time it, it, for some reason, like I'm obsessed with lists. I love to look at lists. I know there's tens, if not hundreds of thousands of other golfers that share that same opinion with me. But when you see it coming from a major publication, it's just tough because there's so many different people um, that are contributing to that list. And it's such a subjective thing to begin with that when you try to have a composite rankings, there's obviously always going to be people that are like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know if this should be ranked this high or this should be ranked lower. But that's the cool thing about doing what you do is that when it's just one guy, it's just his opinion and that means there is no wrong answer. It's it's whatever he thinks. And that's one thing that I really enjoy about your list is that I know it's, hey, this is Sh- Sean Ogle's opinion of what he thinks are the best golf courses or the most fun golf courses out there right now. And Yeah. And I, I think the one distinction I make is I'm, I I try and make it very clear. This is not my opinion of what the best golf courses are. Right. This is my list of my favorite golf courses in, in order. So there are some courses that from an arch- architectural standpoint, um, you know, looking at a traditional ranking or whatever uh, would be much, much higher if that's how I was doing it. But sure. there's also courses that I think are just overrated, not that much fun to play, you know, whatever. Um, they don't necessarily make it all that high. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. Man. And so actually that was one of the questions that I had um, that I'm glad that you're going to be able to answer for me is when we're talking about the most fun golf courses as it pertains to your top 100 list, do you think of the most fun courses as the courses that if you were to go out and play it one time it would just be an absolute blast or is fun something for you that I know that I could play that golf course a thousand times and I would always have fun. Cause I think there's a little bit of a difference where like there could be a course that's maybe, I don't want to say get more gimmicky, but would be an absolute blast to play one or two times, but you might get tired of it after a while versus a course that's a little more wide open that, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you play it. You're always going to have fun. Is that something that you thought about as you were constructing this list and, does one of those kind of fit your rankings more than the other? 
Yeah, it definitely is something that I take into consideration. Um, you know, there are certain gimmicky courses, for instance, that I think are are kind of fun, play at once, and those are ones that might make the list but aren't going to be as high. So, for instance, I think it's number 98 is Fossil Trace yes. in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a ton of fun to play once, not something I would play all the time, and it's got some absolutely horrible golf holes. Um, <laughs> it's got some it's got some very good ones as well. Um but like the opening hole is one of the the worst I've played in my opinion. Um, so that's one example. Whereas actually same, same course architect, Jim Eng, um, one of my favorite courses is another one he did called the golf club at Black Rock in Coeur d'Alene. Oh, that's the same architect. Um, okay. Got it. So whereas, you know, Fossil Trace was very, you know, low, uh, the club at Black Rock is in my top 20, um, where you still have a little bit of gimmicky or it's a mountain course. You've got lots of up and down and elevation, but it's one that's much more fun. It's much more strategic. Um, it is one that I would love to play, you know, day in and day out. Sure. And so, go well, ahead. Yeah, yeah, my bad, man. So I know the club of Blackrock because uh, you've brought that place up to me before. I, I think it's it would be a pretty tough course to walk. No. Yeah, it's definitely cart path only, which oh. is or carts only, which is another kind of, you know thing you take into consideration um you know most of the time the best courses are going to be uh walking you know i i walk pretty much every every round unless it's something like that where it's just not an opportunity um and that's something you kind of you know take into consideration part of black rock was the very first golf digest top 100 course i ever played so i think it holds a little bit of a special place in my heart sure um and that's why it's my favorite courses and not you know hey this is what i'm saying is the best (laughs) course um uh, that yeah, that makes total sense, man. Because I was going to say, at least for me, if I if I can't go out and walk, that course certainly takes you know take you know gets a small little deduction in terms of you know where it would rank among my personal favorites. I just kind of wanted to see if that was kind of the same for you. If if courses are like walking only, do they get a bump up? If some, something you can walk, neutral. If you can't walk, does it get bumped down? So maybe with the exception of the club at Black Rock. Um, that, that would be the same for you then more or yeah, less generally. And like I said, it's all kind of feel it's, you know, what, what do I think of the course? What do I think of the vibe? You know, how do I enjoy myself when I'm doing it? And, you know, for the most part, I, I don't play that many courses that are cart path only. Mm-hmm. Um, so, or carts only. So for the most part, that's not a huge issue. Um, so, you know, it's definitely something that I'll, I'll take into consideration, uh, but it's not something I put a whole lot of thought into. Okay. Um, and then the other, you know, you kind of said, do you look at courses that you can play day in and day out or, you know, kind of one-off gimmicky things? You know, I've also tended to probably rank certain courses higher because they're courses that I have played more often, which allows me to, um, you know, start to see some of the intricacies of them, which make me enjoy it more. So, for instance, you know, it's probably in 25, 30, somewhere in that range is my home course which hollow at pumpkin Ridge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you had asked me where that was two years ago, it probably wouldn't have been quite as high because I hadn't played it as much, but I found the more I play the course, the more I start to learn the subtleties, the more I enjoy it, the more I appreciate it. And I think that's probably going to be the case for most people. Yeah, absolutely, man. It'd be really interesting. Obviously this is wishful thinking and this is, you know, me hoping that you give a lot more good golf in your future, but I would love to see, you know, every, you know, every course in this top 100 list and, you know, have you play it 10 times and then after getting a bunch of runs on all the golf courses see how the the rankings would stack up to as they are right now um again wishful thinking that's a lot of golf (laughs) yeah i i think rather than replaying all of these you know 10 times each i'd rather go play uh you know 
a thousand new courses. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably that's probably good as well, man. So uh, you were saying over the last couple of years, you've probably played 250, 300 golf courses, and you were able to whittle it down to a top 100 for this article. How how long did that take you? And what, what was the process just simple as writing out all the golf courses that you've played and then just kind of, you know, fantasy, you know, football draft style, just picking up and, and readjusting them and putting them to, you know, re-ranking them in order of how much fun they are? Yeah, pretty much. And I probably misspoke. I probably haven't played quite that many. It's probably closer to like 200, but, um, oh, only 200? yeah, uh, so I, that's basically what happens. <laughs> I've got kind of a running list where I've tried to go through and like write down every single course that I've played. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and it started with my top 25 list where I was like, okay, so this is kind of the order. So when I did my top 50, uh, I used that as a starting point and I started just kind of plugging, plugging things in. It's like, did I like this course more or this new course more? Um, and then it was the same thing with my top 100. I started with the top 50 and then just kind of started, you know, plugging, plugging more courses in there. So, you know, now it's going to get tough because I'm probably never going to do my top 200. Um, (laughs) so it would be an aggressive endeavor, (laughs) right? So already, you know, since, you know, that list came out in December, I've probably played five courses that will be on the list that aren't on there now. So that means five courses are going to get knocked off. So, you know, that's kind of what's exciting. You know, it's exciting for me on one hand, but it's also going to be that much more difficult to create the list in the future. Um, because as I play more and more top golf courses, that's where you really have to start, uh, you know, thinking about it and cutting things out and, you know, deciding what, what's worth being on there and what's not. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of golf courses that you didn't have ranked there before, I guess that leads me into, um, another little segment here. So, as I was looking, I was kind of breaking down stuff in the top 100 list, and I thought one of the best things about your list is that there's a very even mixture of both public and private. There's not really one preference of one towards the other. I think there was like, you know, at least in America, uh, on your list, there was like 45 public courses and like 35 to 36 private courses on the list. So you got a good mix of those available to the public and those that are on the private side. Um, but in terms of courses that you haven't ranked in your top 100 so since you've come out with the list um you have actually got to go down and had a chance to play what most people consider the holy trinity trifecta of private courses in southern california with a trip you took a couple weeks ago where you played riviera the valley club and la country club the north course um i would assume just based on all the other publications that you read and all the things you hear about those golf courses that those would probably have a pretty legitimate chance of jumping into your next top 100 list, no? No, actually, they they were all overrated. I don't think <laughs> any of those would actually be on. No, I'm just kidding. Totally. <laughs> um, I, yes, all three of those are going to be, you know, top 50, if not top 25. You know, okay. they were all phenomenal golf courses and, uh, you know, each in their own way, you know, kind of very different courses, very different vibes. Um, so definitely all going to be ranked in the next next list. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what. So for, for us at Golf Guide, for the most part, we, we love covering golf everywhere. But for the most part, most of our focus is on West Coast, West Coast golf, um, meaning like Washington, Oregon, California, and then to a, you know an extent, Nevada, Arizona, Idaho. And so I, I kind of went through and I did a little re-ranking of your top West Coast golf courses that I th- figured I'd share with you because I, I don't know if you had taken a look at this to see how you ranked, you know, like a, a sub list of your list, you know, basically the West Coast golf courses, wanted to read them off to you and then maybe see if, you know, right now, where would you plug in those unranked courses that you just played in Southern California? So if you don't mind, take like 30 seconds to go through your West Coast list. 
No, totally. You need to give me like a break. You've clearly analyzed my list well, so you're going to have to give me a breakdown of like all the stuff you found. Absolutely. Well, I just kind of did a mix. I just kind of counted out the public and private courses, how many of them were international. I mean, it's pretty pretty basic type of stuff because I was like, <laughs> hey, if he's going to come on the podcast, I, I got to know what the hell I'm talking about. So there I you to... go. I, I like the – you did your research. Yeah, nice man. <laughs> so, all right, man. So for your West Coast's uh, top golf courses, first and foremost, the one thing I think is really cool is that your number one course overall, like – around the world is Pebble Beach and with the AT&T Pro-Am fast approaching um, which is going to be you know this weekend although I'm not sure we're going to release the podcast until next Tuesday but with the focus of the golf world being on Pebble Beach this week uh, it, it's it's very fitting that it's number one on your top 100 list um, I, I'm not surprised to see that I mean some people say Pebble Beach is overrated. What, what do you say to those people? So uh, when I think my expectations were tempered because I had so many people tell me Pebble Beach was overrated. Um, what are those people smoking? I, I'm i not sure. Oh. Like I thought Pebble Beach was world class all the way around. Like there was maybe a hole or two that I wasn't totally crazy about. But I think one of the things that surprised me is I thought the inland holes, uh, which usually get knocked, were They're for the strong. most part all very good. Um, you've got some of, you know, the best history, the best views, the most unique holes, um, the most unique collection of holes. I mean, you look at like, you know, four all the way through, you know, nine coming back to 17 and 18. I mean, you just look at how many cool shots you're hitting and how many cool views you've got. And you're not seeing that on any other golf course in the world. Um, it helps that I know that a lot of people dock, um, Pebble Beach because it's such a long round. It's tourists. You've paid a ton of money to be there. It's going to be a six-hour round. There's so many people around. The marshal's constantly pushing you. I can see why that would have a negative impact on people's experience. Uh, for me personally, I played it in under four hours. Uh, we had a 6.50 tee time, so it was the third tee time of the day. Um, we played it you know, at a perfect pace. It never felt crowded. Uh, we never you know, ran into anybody in front of us or behind us. Never had a marshal pushing us. Um, so I had a very, you know, what was appears to be a pretty unique Pebble Beach experience. A transcendent uh, Pebble Beach experience. And so the weather could have been better. We didn't get a whole lot of blue skies. We had a lot of fog. Um, but, um, you know, it was just kind of one of those perfect days of golf. Oh, That's so awesome. And from our last podcast, did I remember correctly that you actually got a chance to see the MVP after the round? Am I, am I off on that? Yeah, so we were sitting in the bar afterwards, and we're at the 19th hole, and we're kind of sitting in the back. We're by ourselves. These three guys walk in, sit next to us, but my friend Dan and I, who I played with, we're like, we just played Pebble Beach, so we're just, you know, talking about the round. We're completely oblivious to anything around us, and the guy that, uh, the people who were sitting next to us, one of them was talking about their upcoming Scotland trip, and they were trying to decide whether or not they, they were going to drive up and play Royal Dornick. So you know how it is in uh, at a golf course. Like, people are talking to people, so I just instinctively, like, not even thinking, uh, turned to him and said, oh my God, if you, if you go to Scotland and you're debating driving up to Dornick, you have to do it. It's one of the best courses ever. You won't regret it. And, uh, that was Steph Curry and huh. he was with, uh, the two owners of the Warriors. So we, we had a nice little conversation about, uh, Scotland golf and, um, you know, then the rest of the bar realized he was there. <laughs> That's awesome. Light years ahead on the basketball court and on the links. Good for them. <laughs> All right. So, all right. As as we continue down uh, the breaking 80s West Coast top golf courses, we had Pebble Beach at one, Bandon Trails uh, at number two, which is awesome that you have it as the number one course at Bandon because um, most publications would tend to disagree with you. But oddly enough, I know for myself and all the buddies that I go to Bandon with every year, 
Um, most of them would say the trails is either their favorite course or one of their two favorite courses at the resort. So I'm glad to see you given uh, the core Crenshaw track up there the respect that it deserves. So good on uh, you, man. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So then and I'll quickly go through the rest of the top 10 here and then give you a chance to kind of uh, touch on those. So Pebble 1, Bandon Trails 2, San Francisco Golf Club 3, the original course at Bandon Dunes at number 4, Pasatiempo in Santa Cruz at number 5, the Fazio course at Pronghorn at number 6, Witch Hollow, Pumpkin Ridge at number 7, the California Golf Club of San Francisco at number 8, Pacific Dunes at number 9, and Crosswater at Sun River at number 10. Now, a couple, a month or two later after you've made the list, as I read that off to you, do you still agree for the most part with the, the ranking and the order of those top 10 courses for yourself? Yeah, for the most part. I know like people are going to hear that and they're like, God, what is that guy smoking? But again, <laughs> this kind of comes back to my favorite courses. Um, I know there's going to be people that are be like, how on earth do you have Pacific Dunes so low? And there's going to be a lot of people that are like, how on earth did you have like Pumpkin Ridge ahead of Cal Club? Um, but again, like this comes back to the courses that, you know, I enjoyed the most. Like I think Cal club was phenomenal. I mean, you have to remember at least most of these are all still in the top 50 of my courses. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would generally still probably agree with that. I might bump Cal club up, up ahead of pumpkin Ridge. I think that that's one where I think that Cal club is Probably, if not definitely, a stronger golf course. Uh, but that's one where the more I play Pumpkin Ridge, the more I enjoy it, the more I like it, the more I, you know, I like the the flow and the vibe of it. Um, so, so yeah, I would say, obviously, with the the latest ones I played in LA, I would I would sprinkle some of those in as well. But with that list as it stands, I think that's probably pretty close to the the truth. Okay. Um, so, yeah, not not far off. Yeah, that's good. Well, I mean, now I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to interject your your recent experiences in there. So, with the last uh, four courses in there being Pumpkin Ridge, Cal Club, Pacific Dunes, and Crosswater, are any of those going to get bumped down by one, two, or all three of the uh, the clubs you were able to play in Southern California recently? Yeah, they, <laughs> they may all get bumped down. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, if I was ranking the three I played, it would probably be... Uh, this is tough. Like I've gone, I could literally rank these any three way, any, whatever possible combination you could rank these. I could see myself doing this, but it's I would a beautiful say, exercise in futility. My friend, it, it's, it's, it's something without a right answer. That's just too much fun to talk about. Yeah. I would say I would probably go LACC Riviera Valley club. Um, but you know, one that's saying something considering I played LACC in an absolute monsoon. Yeah. Um, but I like them each for different reasons. And I like each of them. I like components of each of them. Like if you were to say, what's the best um, clubhouse and membership experience? I would probably say Valley Club. Uh, you go in and the the locker room there and the clubhouse is so understated and so unique and so amazing. Um, and it's got that just laid back Santa Barbara vibe that is super cool. Um Whereas, you know, if you were to say what is the most uh, challenging course, I might say Riviera, um, you know, so what's the best opening tee shot Riviera. Um, so anyway, there's there's all sorts of ways you can look at it. But uh, I think that's probably how I would rank them. OK, awesome. And do you think they would bump out obviously Cal Club Pacific Dunes Crosswater were that eight, nine and ten. Do you think any of them would overtake your home your home club up in Portland? Uh, I think that probably all of them would overtake my own club. Like those would all be, those would all probably knock out the, the top, those other four. I'm thinking. Uh, how about Pronghorn, the Fazio course of Pronghorn? Yeah, probably would knock that one out too. Are we going as far to say that maybe they might bump out Pasatiempo as well? 
Uh, certainly. That's kind of where you start to get the same level. Is like if you were to put it into tiers, I guess you could say. Then you think I would that? probably go Riv and LACC over Pasa and Valley Club. Maybe like that's one of those gets get tough because the experience at Valley club is so amazing. It's so understated, you know, they're not trying to get publicity. Like I feel like I'm probably going to get yelled at for even talking about the club. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so if anyone's listening, that's a member there, I love you guys. You're amazing. Um, but for me personally, Uh, when you're comparing, like you're comparing two McKenzie courses, I probably enjoy the course at Pasa Tiempo a little bit more. I thought it, it had a, you know, some more fun holes. Um, but like the experience as a whole, uh, the club itself, all of that, I mean, hands down Valley club wins there. So awesome. Awesome. Well, this may be uh, somewhat, you know, pointless now that we know that we have a couple of these are going to get bumped out, but let me just finish out the top 20 West coast courses that I can share with uh, the people listening to the course. So after we went through those three uh, Southern California courses and those first 10, um, the next 10, I have to admit, man, I love number 11 on your top West Coast golf list because it's the only non-18-hole golf course uh, on the list, but it's just so much damn fun. That Assuming I, that's Banded Preserve. It's Banded Preserve, man. I mean, for, for anybody that hasn't been, and again, the most listened-to podcast we've ever done on this is where we just did an all-Banded podcast where we just had myself and a couple other guys just drink a 12-pack of beers and just gush about how much we love <laughs> the Banded Dunes Golf Resort. Nice. Um, so, But that being said, for the people that haven't gone, Banded Preserve, what can you tell people? Why is it so special, and how does it outclass the likes of courses like Spyglass? Well, again, this kind of goes back to, like, you know, say, it's Not tough. outclass, but outfun. Yeah, again, I mean, it's, <laughs> again, my list, so should it have been on there? Maybe, maybe not, but... Oh, yeah, man, this is your uh, list. It absolutely should be on there. So anyone, pretty much anyone of the courses on Band and Preserve, if you played that hole, that par three on a any one of the bigger courses, if you put, you know, just kind of exchanged them, you would think it's a phenomenal par three. Yes. Um, there really is not a bad par three on the course. And what's also cool is there's they're just so different and so unique. You've got like, you know, fairly burly, beastly, hard holes like number two, uh, where you've got, you know, bunkers guarding the green and a, you know, big cliff over on the right. Um, and then you have just total fun, like, you know, type of course you're or hole you're never going to see, which might be, I think it's number five, which is the one that you can literally, you know, putt all the way down. Um, and in some cases that's the smart play when the wind's up. Um, and then you've got the incredible views of nine, you've got the ocean in the background, um, another really fun hole. So it's like, you know, all these par threes, you know, oftentimes you could say par threes are the most you know, fun holes on a course because you've got a chance at a hole in one. All you have to do is hit one good shot and you've got a, a good look at birdie and, you know, an easy par. Um, and with Bandon or with preserve, you get to do that 13 times. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, you can go out there with eight guys so you can take big groups, you know, grab beers. It's like the, the perfect after one round on like your third day where you're all too tired to, to walk and you just want to go have a good time. Um, it's the epitome of the the right kind of course to do that and then if you get it in crazy wind and weather it almost just makes it even more fun oh, so awesome what what do you do on the 13th hole what what club do you hit on that downhill par three to finish out your round i usually go putter just because good that's, man you can't, um so it's 130 yard par three or par three that you can literally you know put down and the first time i did it i think i hit it to five feet so i was like oh this was the right choice 
Oh, man, that's too awesome. It's funny because the first time I did it, uh, the guy, the starter told me to hit putter, and I did it. And so another guy in my group did it and lipped out his uh, like his shot you know, for, for an ace. And then he's like, oh, dude, this is the easiest hole in the world. And the same pin location, the next time we went back, he rolled it right into the front bunker. So I was like, ah, I don't think you understood how good that first one was. It's not that easy, pal. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee that Like when I do finally hit a hole-in-one, it's probably going to be with a putter on a hole like that playing by myself <laughs> or something just totally uh, ridiculous. The golf gods do not uh, do not take any pity on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. So well, let's finish out that, uh, that top 20 here real quick. So your personal favorite, the Nicholas Course of Pronghorn, kind of what got this whole thing started. Um, the private club in your hometown, Eugene Country Club at 13. Uh, Wolf Creek in Vegas at 14, uh, Robert Trent Jones Sr.'s Monterey Masterpiece, Spyglass Hill at 15, uh, Reese Jones's Cascada outside of Las Vegas at 16, uh, David McClay Kids Tethro at 17, Old McDonald, the last of the Bannon courses at 18, uh, with the Lake Course at Olympic at 19, and then finally the 2015 U.S. Open venue, Chambers Bay at 20. So obviously with the three courses from L.A., um, you know, kind of jumping into the list there. Looks like Old McDonald, the Lake Course at Olympic, and Chambers Bay are going to be bumped out. Two of the three U.S. Open venues. How how do you feel about that, my friend? Well, part of the issue, like here's the thing about U.S. Open venues or open road of venues, just because they've had a major tournament does not make them the best golf courses in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they're generally going to be good golf courses, but one of the things I've learned in my travels is there, there's a good chance and I would almost say a likelihood that they're not the most fun golf courses. Chambers Bay is an exception to that. Chambers Bay is a very fun course. Um, But you look at, you know, Medina, Oakland Hills, Olympic Club, uh, Beth Page Black. Like I don't necessarily call those fun golf courses. Like they're long, hard, kick you in the ass championship (laughs) golf courses. And part of, again, part of the fun is the history of them and being able to be at the club. And some of those I still do enjoy, but, um, you know, when you're, you know, trying to create a very tough test of championship golf, um, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a lot of, you know, fun or easy, easy holes along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, man. And honestly, that's, uh, that's the one, uh, bone that I have to pick with the golf digest, um, rating system. And that's something that we talked about in the last podcast that I keep alluding to. And that is the one thing that I absolutely never, um, evaluate a golf course on is the thing that is part of the golf digest criteria is resistance to scoring. Right. And I, I've just never understood the whole, you know, why is difficult synonymous with quality? And I think you hit the nail on the head with those us open venues is that, Hey man, I, I actually prefer the course not to be that hard. I mean, you know, Getting my ass kicked isn't one of my favorite pastimes, so, you know, hey, let, let, let's, <laughs> let, let's let's up the playability a little bit. Well, again, and that all kind of comes back to personal preference. You know, if, you're, if your uh, way of judging a golf course is by, um, you know, the test of golf to a scratch golfer, then, you know, and how, how strategic they have to be, how, you know, what shot values are, all of those things, then, you know, that – that could be a valid way of doing it. But for me, that's not what makes a good golf course. You know, I'm thinking risk reward fun. Like, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite golf holes in the world is it, uh, which hollow, which I played with you. Um, it's kind of a par four and a half. Mm-hmm. It's a par five, but is easily reachable in two for most people with a good drive. But that second shot is so precarious. Um, you know, you've got bunkers all down the right, water down the left, uh, narrow green, you have to hit a really good shot. And so you see just as many, you know, doubles or worse as you might, uh, birdies. Yeah. Um, 
And so, you know, it's kind of those fun holes where it's like if you play it as a par five and you just kind of, you know, easy, you know, three wood and then a couple layups, um, you know, it's not going to be an overly difficult hole. Um, but it still, you know, has that that fair challenge. And so some of the courses that have those components, I think, are uh, some of my favorite. Yeah, absolutely, man. No, that's so cool. And so if we're staying on uh, the Witch Hollow course. So the last thing I'll bring up with your, your top 100, because I know we're coming up on time here, so I'll, I'll let you go here pretty soon. Um, but one thing I did notice, and you know, this is obvious because it's just based on courses that you've had the opportunity to play. And since you are a Portland resident, um, there is a, you know, a considerable portion of your top 100 list of golf courses that are located in the great state of Oregon. Uh, from my count, I think we have 19 of those courses are located in Oregon. So I'm actually just going to, from this point forward, call you Golf Guides Oregon Golf Aficionado. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, when you look at it, Oregon is one of the best golf states in the country. Totally. It's definitely the most. I would almost go as far to say it's the best public golf, you know, state in the country. Well, um, it's got certainly got four of the best public courses in the entire world, uh, just in one little area. So yeah, I, I don't think you're out of, out of line at all saying something like that. So, you know, just, you know, something to, to think about, but yeah, so obviously I've played a, a lot of Oregon golf just because I live here. <laughs> right. And so the Oregon, uh, I actually, this is the last list that I did. So if, if you think I'm super, super weird, you can be like, Kyle, just shut the hell up. But for your Oregon top courses, it's obviously kind of similar to the West coast top, but you have Bannon trails at one Bannon dunes at two, the Fazio course at pronghorn at three pumpkin Ridge, Witch hollow at four Pacific dunes, five crosswater at sun river, six Bannon preserve, seven pronghorn Nicholas at eight. Eugene Country Club at 9, and Tethro at 10. What I thought was interesting is where he goes after that, and that is Old Mac at 11, Waverly Country Club, and you know just outside of Portland at 12, Ghost Creek at Pumpkin Ridge at 13, Aspen Lakes in the lovely metropolis of Sisters, Oregon at 14, uh, Columbia Edgewater, where I believe they play the LPGA event later in the fall. Am I? Am I? Yep. Okay. They play it every summer. Yeah. Okay. Tokatee at 16, and Portland Golf Club at uh, 17. And that's what we had in the Oregon top. So my question then to you, if somebody's planning a trip up to Oregon and they're looking to play some really good pri or some really good public golf and they got like maybe a week and they're kind of like you where they don't mind driving around, um, all the courses that I listed there that are on the public side, except for Bannon because we've, we've talked about that at nauseum, uh, what, what are some, you know, what can you tell us about some of those public courses on there um, and how they relate to like Tokatee is something that probably a lot of people haven't heard of, but I've seen you post about it a couple times on your website. Is there any other hidden gems like that that you could recommend for people who are going up to Oregon go you know play a little golf trip? Totally. So I think of as far as hidden gems are concerned, Tokatee is the one. It's up on uh, the Mackenzie River. It's about an hour outside of Eugene. I play it at least once or twice a year. Um, you know, not not a difficult golf course. Um, but the setting is just so laid back. You've got giant towering, you know, hills and forests, like, you know, all over the place. You've got a view of the sisters mountains, um, just a, a pure fun spot to play golf. Um, Aspen lakes is another one that a lot of people probably haven't heard of. Um, so we usually do, uh, uh on a Saturday and Aspen lakes on a Sunday over Memorial day. Okay. Um, Aspen Lakes, again, you've got red sand bunkers, so crush uh, volcanic rock bunkers, which is kind of unique. It's pretty uh, cool. Great for photos. Not necessarily the, the greatest to hit out of or play out of, <laughs> um, but you have a ton of fun golf holes there. So I would say, you know, it's like probably an hour, hour and 15 minute drive between the two of them. Uh, if you're going to bend and you want something a little bit farther away that, you know, maybe is kind of hidden gem status and bend, definitely go check out Aspen lakes. 
Um, if you're flying into Portland to go play any of these, then playing Ghost Creek at uh, Pumpkin Ridge is definitely uh, worth a play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the you know Golf Digest top 100 public in the country. Um, and yeah, I would say those are those are the ones I would recommend. Then you've obviously got the obvious ones. You've got Pronghorn, Crosswater, Tethero. Uh, if you want more of a resort style course that has some great views and isn't going to beat you up, uh, Brasada Ranch. Mm-hmm. I think the course might be called Brasada Canyons. Um, again, another one kind of out in the middle of nowhere outside of Bend. Uh, but it just is one more example of the diversity of the golf courses in Bend. I think that's one of the reasons why I tell people if you gave me 10 golf trips between Bandon and Bend, I would probably go six Bend, four Bandon. Wow. Uh, which a lot of people would, would probably disagree with. But, um, you know, you've got some of the best breweries in the country out there. You've got high desert golf. You've got mountain river stream golf with cr- uh, crosswater. You've got lynx golf in the desert with uh, Tethero. Um, and then you've got the kind of crushed red sand, you know, um, uniqueness of Aspen Lake. So you've just got um, golf courses that you're not going to see anywhere else. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, like you just said, like, I, I probably would tend to disagree uh, just in terms of how I would divide the bend and the banded trips up. But that also reminds me that it, it, it reminds me of why I appreciate your list so much. And the only reason that mine would be different is because I am completely biased in the type, you know, when it comes to the type of golf that I like to play. And something that was very obvious with your top 100 list that I thought was really, really cool and is kind of underrated is that you are open to and you enjoy all different types of golf, whether it be Lynx golf, whether it be more modern design, like a, you know Weisskopf's type courses, and that you don't necessarily have, or it doesn't seem like you have one specific style that you're drawn to. You're an appreciator of all different types of golf, which then makes perfect sense why Ben would be a great place because there's a ton of variety in terms of the styles of golf courses that are up there. Absolutely. And that was one of the things as I was, you know, I've released my top 100 over the course of 10 days and I did, you know, 10 courses a day. And I got people that were, you know, by the time I got into like 30, 20, they're like, man, you really aren't a fan of Lynx Golf, are you? Um, you clearly like Parkland courses and, you know, high desert courses. And um, I was like, well, wait until you see the top 10. Um, <laughs> you know, at least, you know, let's see, Cruden Bay, um, you know, the top Bay, 10, North Berwick, Dornick, Cruden Bay, Dornick, North Berwick, Castle Stewart, Castle all in the Stewart. top 10. See, so you've got four links courses that uh, that are part of that. So, um, yeah, there's certain golf courses that are going to resonate and certain ones that aren't. And so I don't I don't discriminate. Some courses just give you the the vibe and you enjoy more than others. That's awesome. man. one other place up there that I've heard a lot of good things about, but I've never been to myself and that I'll, I'll, I'll just ask you, um, have you I've heard a lot of good things about Black Butte Ranch. Have you been up there yet? You know, I've driven by Black Butte literally dozens of times in my life. And I have yet to ever play either of the golf courses there. Okay. Uh, it's one when we make that drive from Tokati to Aspen Lakes every single year, we drive right by Black Butte. <laughs> and at this point, it's more of a tradition nostalgia thing that we we stick with those two courses. But I'm hoping that this year uh, is the year that I get to go out and uh, play it because I know they've done some work out there and the courses are supposed to be, uh, you know, very good. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've heard some good things. So I'll have to try to find a way to make my way up there as well. So. Well, Sean, I got Before we let you go, I got two rapid-fire questions that I that I wanted to ask you, and one of them might be kind of redundant from the top 100, but uh, I'm just going to jump in and do them anyway because I think they're kind of fun. The first thing is, what's in your bag right now? What what, what kind of golf clubs are you hitting? What kind of equipment are you playing? I know you do a lot of uh, product reviews on Breaking 80, so other than the clubs in your bag, is there maybe like one or two other products that you're using that you could recommend to people out there that uh, they might not be familiar with? 
Yeah, so most of the clubs in my bag are not anything you're going to be impressed with and not things I, I even want to admit well, to having. I, I saw that you broke one of your irons at the Valley Club, which means you might be due for a new set of irons. I did. Soon, I'm going to be looking for a new set of irons this year, so I'm, I'm looking forward to going out and testing out some new things. I will say, um, just this year I got a Mizuno uh, JPX 900 driver uh-huh. that is unbelievable. This thing is like a rocket launcher. I'm hitting it straighter. I'm hitting it farther. They did not pay me to say that. Um, it's got an awesome, like matte blue head, uh, that, you know, even compared to the blue Nike drivers, you know, um, that some of my friends play with, we agreed this looked better. Um, just a very, very good golf club. So, you know, it's got all the adjustability of like an M1. So if you're looking at the TaylorMade M1 or something like that, check out the Mizuno. Um, another unique thing that I'm playing with right now is a round four putter. So round four is a very boutique, uh, putter company. Uh, started my my friend Al, who uh, lives in Florida. Um, the idea being, you want something that uh, during the fourth round of a tournament is not going to let you down. Uh, you know, not going to make you succumb to the pressure. Um, so very small. You're not going to find them in any retailer. Um, but if you Google round four putters, it should show up. But that's another one that I'm really really excited about. Has been a great club. Um, and then, you know, the other things are I still use Arcos um, to track every shot I hit. I love Arcos 360, their new product where you can see every single course you hit on a golf uh, or every single shot you hit on a golf course, um, be able to go back and review your rounds, see how long everything was, see all of your statistics. Um, so those I, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple big things, but those are the, the big ones that uh, I'm excited about right now. Ah, awesome, man. Hey, I can tell you, I haven't hit the JPX 900 driver, but as somebody who's had JPX easy forged irons in their bag for about a year now, man, I, I don't know if Mizuno has ever made a bad golf club. Those guys are so good. I, I Shit, man. Mizuno is the real deal. And the Arcos thing is really fascinating as well. I've uh, I've read the review on Breaking 80, and uh, I saw that they you know, were a, a big hit at the PGA show that you were at uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I'm excited and uh, looking forward to the opportunity to, to test that system out. It seems pretty pretty spectacular. Yeah, and it's, you know, to each their own. Some people are going to, you know, like it. Some people aren't. But I've been, I've played over 100 rounds with it. I've been using it for two years since their early beta. And I think it's just kind of continues to get better. And, you know, it's something that every time I don't use it, I feel like I'm naked on the course where it's like, <laughs> oh, how am I going to get my stats? How am I going to be able to track everything? And so um, I'm a big fan. Oh, that's too funny. Do you notice that since uh, if people aren't familiar, it's like a little kind of nut that goes into the top of your, your grip that kind of allows you to track everything without having to manually enter stuff into the phone um do you notice do you, do you notice the little nub at the top of the the grip or does it make any difference in how the club feels or anything like that now for me i don't notice it at all um you know i've heard people say that they don't use it because uh that bothered them or because you know the weight was thrown off it's like four grams i mean the average person is not going to be, be able to feel a weight difference with this um but uh you know again that's kind of teach their own you know some people are so set and you know, their feel and their golf shots that, you know, it bothers them for whatever reason, but I've never had any issues with it. Okay. Awesome. And the last rapid fire question for you, Mr. Rogel, uh, again, this might be a little repetitive just cause the, you know, the base of our conversation today was uh, revolving around your top 100 list, but I am curious if this is one and the same and that of all the courses that you've had the privilege to play in your lifetime, if you were only allowed to play five golf courses for the rest of your days, would they simply be the top five on your list? Or can you think of maybe you'd throw a little bit more variety in there? Like if you could only play five that you've played for the rest of your life, do you know offhand which five they would be? Oh, 
That's a tough question. It's tough. I mean, I, um, I, I can give you your top five on the list. If you no, want it, it wouldn't be the top five. Okay. Um, yeah, I would see, say good. that's what I was looking for. I would say probably Pebble Beach would be on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably put Maidstone on there out in New York. Awesome. Okay. Um, because I, you know, I like going to New York. So if I've got a course that I can play every time I go out there, that's beautiful, easy to walk and a ton of fun. I think that's one of the most underrated courses out there. Um, I would probably, I would probably go with Pumpkin Ridge, Witch Hollow, because I plan to continue living in Oregon. Um, and it's one of the, it's my favorite course in Portland. Yeah. So, um, I would go with probably Pronghorn Fazio. Uh, because Bend is one of my favorite places in the world. So when I go out there on a regular basis, I want to have a golf course that I can play. Good move. Um, so that's four, right? That, that, um, that is four. So far you got uh, Pebble, uh, Maidstone, uh, Witch Hollow, and the Fazio course at Pronghorn. Yeah, and then other than that, I would probably, I don't know, I would probably choose one of the Bandon courses because then you're, you know, it's easy drive. Um, and I... As much as I like Bandon Trails, and I think that's my favorite, if I could only play five, I would probably go Bandon Dunes because then you're getting kind of a true Lynx course. Um, it's with an easy drive of Portland. So I'm trying to think of this from like a very logical standpoint. Where are sure. the places I go? Where do I like to play? So those are <laughs> those are probably the five that I would choose. Sean Ogle, you are an Oregonian through and through, brother. I love it. Four out of the top five in the great state of Oregon, a Pacific Northwest boy till the very end. That's awesome, man. Three out of five. Is three three out, out of five. Okay, we had Maidstone. Okay, Maidstone Pebble. and Pebble that's Beach. Right. Okay, got it. See, I'm getting ahead of myself down here. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. Well, shoot. Sean, thank you so much, man. So before I let you go, um, again, if people aren't familiar, where, where can people find you, You know, read your stuff, listen to you, find you on social media? Where, where are the best best places to get, uh, get your Break It 80 fix? Yeah, so BreakIt80.com with 80 spelt out. Uh, Instagram, at Breaking 80. And, uh, this is with 80 spelt out again. And this is something we, we haven't talked about on the show, which I'm surprised I haven't brought it up yet because it's the most exciting thing going on in the world of breaking 80 and it's called the 80 club. Um, so we launched this in December and it's essentially a golf society for members of private clubs across the world, uh, with the idea of giving people a place where they can geek out about golf when they're not on the course and, you know, help help guys meet other like-minded golf nuts uh, while also helping make access to some private courses a little bit easier. Um, So we've got over 75 members now from all over the country at some pretty special places. Um, We're going to be doing our first event here in Portland in May. Um, And so that's, uh, you know, it's just kind of very much surprised me with how quickly we've been able to bring members on and how excited they are about the community. So if that's something you're interested in, if you like to travel, if you like to geek out about golf and you're a member of a private club, uh, check out breaking 80.com slash club. Slash club. No, that's awesome. And now if your first, uh, event is going on in Portland, would I be crazy to assume that you may be the host? Well, I'm kind of the host of all of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so the goal is to have three events this year. We're going to do one in Portland. Uh, we're going to do one in Philadelphia because we, for whatever reason, have a abnormally large number of members in Philly. Um, and then one more later in the year that's potentially at uh, Bandon or one other private club, depending on how things evolve. Um, and so we'll throughout the year, we'll also have 80X events uh, that are just you know day-long events that are hosted by members that want to have people out at their clubs. 
Got it. And is there going to be any like uh, social events that like don't include golf, or is pretty much the nexus and, and the whole reason everybody's getting together is just for well, a you of know, golf? as I travel, um, you know, like for instance, if I go to New York, I'll probably not do anything formal, but play a couple rounds of golf with some of the guys out there, and then maybe have like be like, hey, I'm going to be at this bar. <laughs> Anyone that wants to come hang out, uh, come hang out and have a drink. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the idea behind it right now. Yeah, right on, man. That sounds uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. So again, that's the 80 Club, and people can find that at Breaking80.com/slash. Club. Club. Yep. Got it. Awesome, man. Then how about on social media? Where can people find you? Uh, at Breaking80 on Instagram. So at it's at Breaking80 with 80 spelt out or on Twitter uh, at Breaking underscore 80 uh, and on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash Breaking80. Oh, that's awesome, man. Well, last thing I'm going to leave you with. I know that you are very connected in the uh, the Portland golf scene. You got a lot of friends who are uh, members at different uh, at the different clubs in, you know, in and around PDX. Are they going to take exception to your list of of the top Oregon, you know, top Portland private golf clubs? Because you have them ranked, Witch Hollow, and then it goes down to Waverly, Columbia, Edgewater, Portland Golf Club. What are your friends at Portland Golf Club going to say when they when, when they hear this? I, I'm not sure. That's a good question. <laughs> I think Portland is a a great course, but uh, for me, you know, the other ones have a, a little bit more variety. So I I love playing Portland. It's one of the you know more elite courses in the area. It's a ton of fun. Um, I get out there, you know, probably two or three times a year and always enjoy the hell of it when I do. But, uh, um, yeah, I think the, the three that are ahead of it for whatever reason, i I just find myself uh, enjoying a little bit more. Absolutely. Well, that's the only downside of these ranking things is because when people see something ranked lower, they assume that it's not good, but shit, man, Portland, Columbia, Edgewater, Waverly, Pumpkin Ridge. The thing is the one thing they all have in common is that they're all awesome and they're all a ton of fun to play exactly so, so lots of lots of good golf for sure awesome man well hey sean i hope that 2017 brings a lot more good golf uh for you and, and all the people around i hope you wish you a lot of success with the 80 club and uh hopefully we'll get a chance to uh to do this again and check back in with you maybe in six or seven months and kind of see how 2017 is going and that way maybe you know the, the 80 clubs picked up a little bit of steam by then and maybe have something else to promote so uh always appreciate you coming on the podcast man so, as always a fun conversation and a really good time absolutely man thank you for having me absolutely thanks sean Thank you uh, so much for listening to yet another episode of the Golf Guide Podcast, everybody. Um, as always, this episode was sponsored by GolfGuide.net. Uh, best place to save 20 to 70% on greens fees. Uh, just go to GolfGuide.net, go to the store, find a course that you like, uh, purchase a green fee, and you know just redeem it whenever you want to set, you know, whenever you get to the golf course. It's pretty much that easy. Um, and a lot of cool changes to come. Probably in the next six weeks or so, there's going to be a brand new golfguide.net for the first time in about 13 years uh, with a lot of changes that uh, I'm pretty excited to, to share with you guys. So I'll uh, have more information on that uh, as we get a little closer. Um, but yeah, but in the meantime, if you go to golfguide.net, use the promo code GGPODCAST and you can save 10% on uh, every purchase of $50 or more. Again, that's golfguide.net. Uh, I want to thank Sean again. Um, fun conversation. And, uh, yeah, we will be back next week. So, once again, if you haven't uh, already, please leave us a review on iTunes. We really, really do appreciate that. Very, very nice. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back uh, next week. And, uh, yeah, happy hitting.